Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck, the Lower Decks edition. I'm your host and captain, Michael Flores, and I'm flying the USS Rainman Digital into a nebula in order to make sure Khan cannot catch me. <laughs> David, you and I went to go see the 35 millimeter screening oh my god dude that brought a tear to my eye of star trek rafficon and we're gonna do a, our own little show on it eventually but man i can't stop thinking about it just seeing it on the big screen in its original format is it, just it's a thing of dreams it is and and still it still packs a punch you know for the for the whole story and even like even like some of the uh the effects, the effects still stand up to this day. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you noticed when we were watching, I was flinching still at the conworm thing. Oh, yeah. Even though, like, back then, the, like, the, the effects they used for the conworms are dated. They are dated. I mean, come on. It's, it's still effective, though. It's still effective, It's no though. different than watching John Carpenter's The Thing. Like, those effects are dated, but dated doesn't mean it's not effective. It's still just as effective as the first time as you watched time, it. And the first time, just even to this day, watching the worm inch its way across Chekhov's face. That sounds and going very into homoerotic. His, yeah, going into his <laughs> ear. Oh, my God. Uh, I was like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> when are we going to see a con worm joke in Lower Decks, I wonder? Oh, I'm surprised I'm we haven't seen one yet, right? I am waiting. <laughs> I mean, come on, Mike, but man, you ain't trying. How do you make that funny, though, Mike? How do you make oh, it funny? Oh, you can make it funny. <laughs> I think right. that's what Mike McMahon would be screaming at us. It's like, how do you make that funny? It's not Tell that me. hard, Mike. Just think about it. All right? Come on. All right. So if you're new to our shows, you can find the podcast version of this broadcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Our preferred feeds are iTunes and Spotify. Also, if you're a YouTube type of person, you can catch our live video feeds on our network YouTube page, youtube.com slash Digital. Be sure to click subscribe and give us a thumbs up. I will apologize now for the ugliness of my face that you may see. Please be kind <laughs> and don't make fun of my face. Thank you. All right, David, how are you? I'm doing okay, Mike. <laughs> All right. So we're desperately trying to catch up with some lower decks. We did take a little bit of a, a break, a hiatus. I, normally we don't do these things, but this season we're kind of, or I should say this year, 2022, because there's so much content and it's almost nonstop with Star Trek, we have to just take breaks Yeah, because we also have lives. And uh, for the most part, we do this for free, but that's why we rely on people to go to our Patreon page. Right, David? Yes. So that we can justify giving up our lives. It's for, hours on end to talk about Star Trek. It's for our Patreon members. Yeah. More content. All right, David. So we're going to be talking about Lower Decks 
season three, episode five, titled Reflections. The synapsis, Mariner, Boimler, and Tindy clashed with their arch rivals, Delta Shift. The Cerritos engineers go on mandatory relaxation. Wait, that's not. That's not it. That's not it. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> I was, about, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe I have the wrong episode up. Hold on a second. <laughs> if this is what happens when we take breaks. Okay, here we go. I have the right one here. Mariner and Boimler work with work the Starfleet recruitment booth at an alien job fair. There you go. Rutherford challenges himself. I like this episode quite a bit. A little bit of a existential flair there or existential vibe because we're dealing with Rutherford and the dichotomy of his two sides. Yes. Which I think is pretty cool. And you do it with the parallel of Boimler and uh Mariner's story where they're trying to defend Federation to outdoor how people perceive them outside. Yeah. And it's like, I thought, I thought I really liked the, this is actually the first episode of the season where I basically go, this is arguably up there with my, one of my favorites. It's one of the better because, episodes of the season. Because yeah. I love what happens with Boimler. Boimler, Boimler became my hero. He is my spirit animal. <laughs> Jesus. He became my spirit animal in the end. But even with he the does story, get a lot of hot chicks, even though he doesn't actually seal the deal. There seems to he seems to have some hot chicks always throwing themselves yeah. at him. And then you have and then you have the story of Rutherford, which that ending I was like going for Lower Decks that was kind of dark to, to yeah. end it that way. And then you don't come up with an answer, and you kind of have that idea that we're going to see this come back for the Lower Decks crew in some way. Yeah. Yeah, this episode did a few interesting things, uh, most of which revolved around Rutherford. And I will, you know, say this. This is our first Rutherford-eccentric episode of the season, which I find surprising since, you know, they usually do, what, maybe three, I, I want to say, Rutherford-eccentric episodes since the start of this show. Yeah. And the fact that we only have gotten one is surprising, but I'm not complaining. I'm just happy that we got it. And it was one of the better episodes of the season so far. Mm-hmm. His episodes are typically interesting. Uh, one of my favorite episodes still is from season one, the Badgie episode. I was about to say, yeah, the Badgie episode's like still just the best. Such a good episode. Another aspect of the Rutherford stuff that works so well with this episode was the internal struggle between the different sides of Rutherford. I thought that was very philosophical. It was, it was. very much on par with what we have come to expect from Star Trek as Star Trek fans, right? Yes, absolutely. Especially like with the idea about the debate about like Federation versus, you know, what people might construe as like reality. And it it was really cool seeing the parallels between the two stories because like yeah. Rutherford's side, it wasn't like his past self was a bad person. In fact, he was very talented and he was, he had a bit of an ego, but he was good at what he did. Hey, listen, egos get a bag of rap nowadays. For some reason, yeah. everyone likes to criticize people that are confident. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of an ego, right? I mean, yeah. isn't that what Captain Kirk had? And it, it, But the thing is, is like that, that type of person didn't fit well with the Federation ideals. Eh, it does a little bit. Come on. <laughs> Look, like I said, Captain Kirk, 
Well, Captain Kirk can do anything, dude. Yeah. I mean, don't forget he 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 cheated in his in his finals, and, and no one no one ever like said, "Oh, you know what? You're expelled." No, nah, they they praised him for it. There's a he was oozing with ego and proud of himself in Star Trek Two when him and Spock are talking in code. Oh my God! Hours yes, will seem like. Days, days and minutes like hours and you see this overconfidence in uh, captain kirk's face come on or no ego has always been a part of star trek or even when he's like talking to khan and he tricks him but he's like he just looks here comes khan yeah and then he just has this like knowing look and i'm like kirk can you cannot say that kirk is like the example of like a, f- a person that doesn't belong in the Federation because he's just one of those very special. He's a rogue rogues. Yeah. yeah that no. just gets away with murder. That, no, come on. That's <laughs> you're now you're just being hyperbolic. I think he's just a, he's a captain. It represents they kind of, they've almost kind of framed it that way now. Right. In later iterations of star Trek that he was from a time that was almost like the wild, wild, the West. wild, wild West. Yeah. yeah. Where you shoot from the hip essentially. So, yeah. So at the heart of this episode was was a story revolving predominantly around Rutherford, at least the more interesting aspects of the mm-hmm. episode. And that whole the whole aspect of diving into this internal struggle between the two different sides of Rutherford, one prior to his accident and the one after his after. accident, that aspect was interesting because it brought back a story aspect from, I believe, season one. And we never have gone back to it. Yes. If you remember, there was this almost like con- this conspiracy that was being built around Rutherford's um, Implant. cybernetic enhancements. Yeah. That there was something aloof and a mystery about how it happened and why it happened. And they have been leading us with this idea that there is a conspiracy. But then in season two, I don't think we ever went back to it no so i do appreciate the fact that we have gone back into this conspiracy that's connected to rutherford's implants i don't want to say i think moving forward i don't think we're going to get other episode this season about that but it, it i feel like eventually we're going to have to get these answers are there any theories out there yet david pertaining to this conspiracy because i i saw a few popping up that oh, were yeah. obvious like um section section 31 section yes 30. jesus there you go. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, that's I'm kind of leaning into that, that. Right, right away after the episode, I started looking it up, and a lot of people were like saying the officer that was in charge of Rutherford had to be a part of Section Thirty One, and maybe Rutherford himself was a part of Section Thirty One. Yeah, because you got to remember, Rutherford was. They kind of alluded throughout the episode that prior to the accident, Rutherford was a brilliant engineer. He was a bit of a doucher. He was a doucher, but he was willing to take risks like crazy. But it, it, it worked. Until that accident. And then you kind of get the illusion that basically like the Federation officers that were there during his operation were like trying to cover something up. Yeah. I've always liked conspiracy aspects to any show. It's one of the reasons why one of my favorite shows to this day, the most obvious is X-Files. And then there's the copycat X-Files that I thought was actually equally good in its own right. And that was, uh, do you remember Dark Skies from the yes. mid-90s? Yeah. How they reworked history mm-hmm. to, in a way that justified their story that was trying to say that at the heart of every historical moment in, in American history, there was an alien conspiracy an alien involved. conspiracy involved, yep. That was really cool. So I've always been drawn to these types of conspiracies where you're not quite sure what's happening. The only person that can tell you uh, their minds were wiped. Mm-hmm. Star Trek hasn't really delved into the conspiracy aspect too much. 
the first season of TNG. And to this day, I have nightmares over that episode where you had, um, Oh, Are you talking it? about the worms? Yeah, you had these little, um, remember these little parasites? Yeah, it was a parasite. Yeah, and I felt like that's kind of what they were paralleling in this episode when they had uh, Boimler and Mariner poke fun of the conspiracy truthers. Now, obviously, that's also a jab at today's, you know, social environment where yes. no one believes in anything. Everything's a lie. We have the flat earthers. We fake have the, news. Yeah. The whole fake news. So obviously that was a jab at that, but then also you have our very own conspiracy in TNG. That was in the first season. What was the name of the, the episode was titled conspiracy actually. Yeah. It was the 25th and penultimate episode of the first season of the, of, of course, Star Trek, the next generation and it aired in 1988, man, that's so long. <laughs> it does. It, that was a long time, but like that episode still sticks with me, especially in the very end that when, ending when where, the villain dies yeah, oh. and his head explodes. It, dude, talk again, going back to what we were talking about at the top of the show with the con worm. Certainly you could say the visual effects are a bit dated, but it is still effective. Oh, and the imagery still sticks with it. Still sticks with people me to don't, this day. People don't bring this up when they t- talk about nightmare imagery from Star Trek. They bring up the transporter accident from the motion picture, which I do agree with that. Yes, they bring up the con worm, which definitely agree with that. But seldom do people bring up this forgotten episode where we got some of the most disturbing imagery ever in Star Trek. Because you found out the parasite infected everybody (laughs) in the uh, Starfleet uh, hierarchy. Yeah. And then like at the very end, it took, I think it was like, I think it was Picard and Riker and they, they're the ones who shot the, (laughs) shot the worm and blew the guy's head off. Yeah. And they had leading up to this episode, there were other episodes that were already building into this bigger story now, I don't know why they ended up canning this idea because it felt like it was going to be around for the long haul. In fact, it was an original idea conceived by Gene Roddenberry. Oh, yeah. So I want to do a special show. Once we get out of the thick of all these new episodes of Star Trek we have to cover, I want to do a, a discussion for our Patreon listeners, Dave, where we delve into all of the ins and outs of conspiracy, including why they ended up veering away from veering that storyline and what they were trying to do. Cause I do have a lot of articles saved anytime they pop up over the last couple of years, I save them into a document so I can go back to them when I need to reference them. And a lot of them have to do with conspiracy. So oh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to probably do some research and do some studying and then we'll put together a show on that because, um, well, dude, there's so many in star Trek. I mean, even deep space nine, uh, the whole Bashir story. Bashir yeah, story. But is, was, that a, that was, but is that, would you consider that a conspiracy story? Kind of because they were trying to cover it up. They, the Federation Ooh. tried, remember Bashir said he had to keep his secret. Yeah, but that everything. was more of a social, I would say more of a social discussion, you know, dealing with prejudice. I wouldn't say it was a conspiracy story necessarily. I would even say section 31 was a conspiracy story. It was more of an espionage story. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. That's yeah. a good point to me. The the biggest thing that sticked out to me with that one was the fact that the Federation knew about the genetic engineering yeah. and they didn't say anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. So of course it isn't an episode of lower decks without some big references. For example, the moment when Rutherford told Tendi about his problems sleeping and, 
his dreams, which then led Tendi to ask if it was like going to a new timeline with Kirk and Spock where they have cinematic <laughs> chemistry. chemistry. I like that because obviously that was a reference to the Kelvin timeline. Yes, it was. Which was fun because Kelvin timeline is the redheaded stepchild of Star Trek. It used to be Deep Space Nine. Um, now the hated stepchild is Picard probably at this yes. point to a lot of Star Trek fans. But dude, I mean, it, it's dialogue like that, that this is the first episode where you even say like the dialogue with the jokes started hitting where it's like, remember me and you have been I like, felt like this episode felt more on par with the comedic, with the comedic timing, timing and pacing of the prior two seasons. Yes, yes. Because like, remember up to this point, me and you were like going, eh, the the episodes have been good, but it just seems like they've almost borderline. The jokes have been f- falling flat. This is the first episode where you can see the sharp wit that, he, that McMahon has where he does that bang, quick, quick dialogue of the Spock thing. And that brings a chuckle to me because like suddenly, you know, like even as a mass audience, you're like left wondering what the heck, what did they say? And then that's, that's how you do the comedic timing with that. It's not about just basically, you do you say that and then you wait for the audience to to catch up and treat it like a quote unquote easter egg and then they also brought in the delta flyer essentially that was cool it was cool <laughs> although i like how they how the the douchey Rutherford kind of made fun of the Delta Flyer because some of the things he said were some of the things that I have said about the Delta Flyer. I'm like, why? But why? But, but Mike, the Delta Flyer is awesome. I understand. It was, it was less about the practicality of the vessel and it was more about developing Tom Paris as a character. I was about to say, it, it's Tom Paris, Mike. That's what it was about. And that's why it was always been okay with me, even though the, the Delta Flyer in so many ways just doesn't make sense. Like some of the things they have in there, it's all designed like a like a drag racing car. I'm like, that doesn't yes. even make sense in a spacecraft. It doesn't make sense, but it, it worked. It worked. But it works because it was it was less about... It was more about Paris as a character and fleshing him out. And yes. that is why I always looked the other way. I said, okay, you know what? The, the point of this is about Tom Paris. Yeah. And, and and it's about basically showing the legacy of those characters and showing that basically, hey, those those things that m- made the, those characters important and cool, other characters will know about it. And everyone, it, the thing I do like about Laura Dex is like they have a way of making like, the really mundane things we thought about in the past, you know, Star Trek series and made them see, they made them important. You know, like the whole thing with Tom Paris the and the stuff with O'Brien and I think it was season one. And they, <laughs> they oh, made where, the, he, where they alluded to the fact that he did something so great that he has yeah, a statue. Of he has himself. a statue of himself <laughs> yeah. and that's and, and stuff like that. That basically yeah. makes the lower decks special to star Trek because they're saying, yeah, those little things are really a cool nod. And of course, as a star Trek figure, you're like going, man, the Delta flyer would have worked perfectly in Picard. <laughs> you give, it, it does bring up a question though, David, with everything Voyager brought back with them, like all of that high technology that they had made a part of, the Voyager starship, you know, using all the Borg components and all the oh, other dude. things. Voyager was the ship. How come we never, like, in all actuality, wouldn't Starfleet reverse engineer some of these things and use them? And yet, you we remember, don't really. They, well, do, they do delve in that in Prodigy. They do. A bit. A, a bit. bit. Yeah. Because you find out that basically the, 
the, the star drive. I, the something. star drive yeah. was actually what was actually created because of the Voyager class. Yeah. Well, I mean, Picard is really the only show we've been given in live action that mm-hmm. that has explored the time post Voyager. Post Voyager. So I suppose there hasn't been an opportunity to explore. Although even in Discovery in the future, you got to think that. I don't know. Oh, shoot. Uh, maybe Even, I'm just asking for for stupid things, but wouldn't it make sense for there to be a jump in technology for the Federation because of the Borg tech? You'd think. Yeah. Because especially since like the, the thing that I've been pointing out for Kurtzman's era of Star Trek, it's cool what they're actually been bringing to the table and they're pushing the technology forward, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've introduced some amazing concepts. Like I think the spore drive was actually freaking phenomenal. Yeah, I love it. I love the spore drive. And then when you get to Prodigy and you get to the the Star Drive, I think that's what it was called. I right? think it's, Star the, drive. it's either Nova Drive or the Star Drive. But then you, but then for me as a Star Trek fan, it's like you're left after seeing those and saying, "Wait a minute, where was all that stuff? Yeah, during this period, well, unless listen. it was lost." Well, we also know that uh, Michael Shaban doesn't know anything of Star Trek outside of a couple episodes of Next yeah. Generation. So that's probably why he didn't <laughs> utilize it and why <laughs> Seven of Nine was not Seven of Nine in the first season of Picard. She was Sarah Connor. <laughs> she was Sarah Connor. Um, you realize Seven of Nine was a scientist, yeah, she was. right? She was. She was a scientist. She was a scientist. She was capable of fighting, but that wasn't her default mode. Suddenly she's an assassin and the ultra feminine fighter of, of Star Trek. You know, it, it's stupid. It's, see, the funny part is you can look at 709, her story in Picard, and look at Rutherford. You know, he had that douchey side <laughs> in the no, very beginning. not the same, David. But then, you know, he turned into the Federation, and now you have 709. Eh. Eh. Sarah Connor? Yeah. Eh. Eh, she's turned back into the one that we all love. Okay. All right. Well, we'll go with that. <laughs> all right. There was also a few newer elements introduced into this episode, and I'm glad the whole thing wasn't. They have to continue to build out their world their own world as well. And I, that's, I, I have said as much over the last couple episodes, like give us something new as well. Don't always fill out the entire narrative of your episodes with things that have already been established because of purposes of fan service or nostalgia. And uh, Petra Aberdeen was thankfully not another Easter egg. She was a new character. Her first appearance was in the episode of Lower Decks. We've never seen her before. Yeah. But it does feel like they're alluding to something else as well because they put so much emphasis on her. Doesn't it feel like she might play a part later in the show? Absolutely. Especially with Mariner's story. Yeah. Uh, the the thing I like that I'm starting to see, is, especially after this episode, is... A more of a focus on what is the story of Mariner for this ongoing se- series. You know, we had the whole thing about her life as uh, turning it from as a Federation officer to basically a story of her relationship with her mom. Now, me and you, like, especially we mentioned in the last episode, what the heck is Mariner's next step? What's her next growth? Right. And after this episode, it really feels like Mariner is at that point where she's like going, is she happy with her Federation life like right now, which she apparently is, or is the old Mariner, does she miss that old life where she's like, you know, carefree, doesn't have a million responsibilities. I think she does. Obviously. I think that's the point, right? That yes. she's trying to be a better Starfleet officer, she's trying but to be a better her Starfleet personality officer. and her character flaws are getting the best of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So yeah, this Petra Aberdeen was interesting. They said that she had served as a Starfleet officer at one point on the USS Victory, which comes with some pretty big history when it comes to the TNG era of Star Trek. Jordi LaForge and Susanna Leachin, I want to say is how you say her last name, were assigned to this ship in the early 2360s um, in the episode titled Identity Crisis. So we have seen the USS Victory in live action before. Yes. So that's much appreciated, giving us something new while also intertwining it with something that has already been established in the Star Trek canon. Starbase 80. That one was interesting. That's a new concept as well. Yes. And it seems like it's just going to be one of those things that is a part of Lower Decks that they're trying to make their own. It felt a lot like, remember that episode where we saw the Inotion? Like, <laughs> yes. Uh, I know what you're like talking doctor about. where all of the abnormalities, abnormalities that happened throughout the, the decades of, of Federation history would go to this planet. Yes. It kind of felt like that. That's what Starbase 80 felt like. It but felt like another even, one of those. Even worse, because like this was the first time you actually saw Mariner worried. Well, like, yeah, because it has a less than desirable reputation, according to this wiki here, amongst the among the crew of the USS Cerritos to the point that many crew members cried out in shock <laughs> when uh, Dr. Tana suggested that Ensign Beckett Mariner go work on, on the Starbase. Starbase 80. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what these places are. I want to go back to that planet where all the, you know, abnormalities go. And then I also <laughs> would like to see Starbase 80 now. Yes. I because... The, the thing that's going to be interesting is how are they going to use Starbase 80? Because it just seems like Ransom's going to use that as a threat from here on out. So if it's an ongoing threat, yeah, but I do agree with you. Like if he continues to use it as a threat, we should be able to see it. But for the impact to be even greater and for us to really pique our intrigue or for it to really pique our intrigue even more so, it has to be an ongoing gag. Yes. It has to be, they have to keep, I'm talking maybe for even a season and a half, maybe even more. And then finally we see why it's so hated and it should be so fucking funny. I'm talking, this is where you bring in nostalgia. Whoever runs Starbase 80 should be like one of the characters from past Star Trek that maybe runs Starbase 80. And he's it's just very, Kim. he's, yeah, he's <laughs> perfect, David, because he's really boring. It's just, no one wants to be around him because he just sucks. He has no personality and his monotone and his weird five-year-old way. He walks like a toddler <laughs> and, and on his tippy toes. And, and his first officer is Jake. <laughs> oh, so perfect. It's, yeah, so, no, so it's, it's Kim David, and Jake. David, that's actually, you just described my hell. Like that is my hell. Like if I go to hell, you know how they say everyone has a different hell. That would be my help. I would be in a room with Ensign Kim and Jayco. And Jayco. <laughs> All right, David, let's move into our final thoughts. Why don't you start us off and then give me your RMD score? My final thoughts for this one, I'm, I'm very happy with this episode. This is a bit, definite uptick from the last episode. Uh, in doing so, this is the first episode I think scores in the 90 range for this season for me. So I, I gave this one a 90, a flat out 90. Because I love the story of Rutherford. I like the story of Mariner and, and Boimler. And I'm sorry, when Boimler loses his shit in the very end and starts tearing up people up, Mike, you don't understand. Boimler was basically us and everybody else was the trolls that we hate on the internet. Mm -hmm. 
and Boimler just basically destroys he, he everybody. <laughs> that was enough. a metaphor for Alex Kurtzman. Yes. He's like, I'm tired of everyone telling me I suck. <laughs> suck. <laughs> and he's like telling people like, if it wasn't for us, you would never exist. You'd be destroyed. <laughs> and I was like cracking up. I'm like, oh my God. I think I think Alex Kurtzman came into the writing room in, and basically just vented. Yeah, can we break the fourth wall, please? Yes. And I promise that if we break the fourth wall, we'll also I'll also twerk. <laughs> I will twerk. I, I hear that's the the thing nowadays. <laughs> They're doing it in Marvel shows. So stupid. All right, David. My score: eighty six percent. Wait, that's not true. Hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, eighty six percent, which is my second highest score of the year. It is a strong episode for yeah. sure. And I do appreciate that they gave us an episode that focuses on the things that actually makes this show good. Because I, I feel like the last two episodes, two, three, and four were just, eh. Yeah, they were you know? meandering. Yeah. The, this episode felt more on par with what we had been given so far or what we have been given so far, specifically in, of course, seasons one and two. Okay, David, I do want to remind people before we close out today's show that we do have a Patreon page. If you want to help us stay on the air, we do need the support and assistance from our listeners, from our dedicated listeners. Go to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital and pledge 3 to $5 a month. Uh, for $3, you gain all of our content on the behind the scenes tier. Basically, you gain access to a show that we do called the Unimatrix Zero, which is our companion show to our regular show here from the holodeck where we get into things that we don't always have time to get into during our regular broadcast. We also have a $5 tier where we do full podcast discussions on from the holiday of from the holodeck. And we get into all types of additional bonus content. You name it. We do it. I'm not going to list all of it because if you can imagine it, we do it uh, for Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash Rayman digital pledge. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.